0: Hello and welcome to the Urbicane Podcast, my name is Simon Osmo and I'm a former UK police detective turned entrepreneur and mindset coach and on this podcast I talk with impactful individuals from around the world who have navigated a life pivot, found themselves for a self-discovery to find that theme that we've all been looking for, a happy and fulfilled life. So the excuses are over my friend. It's time to change our thinking so that we can change our lives and come join me as we dive into this week's conversation to learn how they became, who they became. Hey friend, welcome back to the Urban Podcast. This is episode 54. My name is Simon Osmo and I'm so grateful that you take time out of your busy week to join me on these journeys of transformation, self-discoveries and life pivots. And my guest today is David Hayes from the UK. Now this man has an incredible story, he really does. He is a four times Guinness World Record holder. And I believe at the time of releasing this podcast, he's actually going to have five. Now, how is he doing this? He is what I consider an extreme paddleboarder. His last world record was for paddleboarding the River Thames in England. For me, that sounds crazy. For him, that's the adventure that he thrives upon. Now, his purpose is heavily tied into the fact that he was incarcerated twice in England for committing burglaries. And he now uses his life story to help others free themselves of the criminal justice system and a more positive outlook in their life and he does this through adventure and through challenges so today's action step can I just say that if this episode resonates with you in any way please share it with someone in your circle of influence but hey without further ado let's just dive straight into this week's conversation episode 54 with David Hayes Well, David, welcome to the Herbacame podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Simon. I really appreciate your time.
0: Well, I'm really excited to talk to you because, one, you are a fellow Brit and, you know, most of my audience is in the US. so It's always nice when I hear another British accent and, you know, I can start relating to, to being back home. So I should start off by saying, what, what is the weather like back home? That's what I normally ask people when I, when I talk to a fellow Brit.
1: You'd be surprised to hear... It's actually cloudy as always. Oh,
0: Yeah, and and rain as well. You've got your raincoat somewhere over there. But David, thanks for joining us. It's going to be a really interesting conversation because you've done some amazing things. And uh, my audience will know that I released the, the video of our conversation today. So if they want to head over to YouTube, they can see the video conversation. And behind you, I'll describe it for my audience that are listening. There are two frames behind you. There's like a small circle in there and understand they are world records. Is that correct?
1: Yes, they're they're actually two of the four I have. I've got another two on a different wall, but I thought, you know, it's always good to show them off really, isn't it? Yeah, you (laughs) didn't
0: want to appear too sort of boastful by having all four of them in things. So let's start off a bit about you, then. So tell us what you do now and then maybe tie that into your four world records that you have.
1: Yes, at the moment, I work as a consultant for the criminal justice system. Um, so, I work for a company who are trying to make life better for people inside prison before they go to prison, to so doing a lot of youth work, and also when people are released. Something that I think is really important is trying to highlight the, how good the form of rehabilitation is. Because I think in our system over here, which I know you will probably know from your own experience, is, is non-existent, so we need to do more. Um, and a couple of things I've been working on at the moment is actually doing a report for the inspectors of probation around mental health. So I've been talking to people that have had experience with the criminal justice system and seeing it through an eye of mental health and putting a report together, It's quite interesting to see what comes back from that, really, and actually hearing these stories of these individuals as well, which has been quite enlightening. Um, and then from there, you know, I also do a lot of adventuring as well. Um, so I like to get out stores on my paddle boards, attempts of world first, world records, but I do it as well to highlight the importance of reform and rehabilitation, and I work with a company called the Alliance of Sport, we're an ambassador for, who actually use the power of sports um, in the system to help tackle reform and rehabilitation.
0: Wow, right. and so tell us about the, the world records then. So, so what do I for? Let, let's brag for a little minute. So you've got four, which is <laughs> yeah, no, more it. than me. Let's brag. Tell, talk us through them.
1: Yeah, so in June, I, well, I came up with this idea ages ago to paddle the longest lakes in the UK, um, which is Loch Or in Scotland, Lake Windermere in England, Loch Ney in Northern Ireland, and then Baller Lake in North Wales and Snowdonia. Um, but i decided I wanted to do them in four consecutive days uh, and try and do them for the fastest time I could possibly do them in. The first one was 40 kilometres, then the second one was 80 kilometres, then 38 kilometres, and then I finished on eleven kilometres for my fourth world record. Um, hugely proud of it. And next week, I'm going to go and take on the River Thames, um, you know, England's most famous river. I'm going to try and do that in the fastest time possible without sleep. So the plan is to do it in about 40 hours without sleeping.
0: Well, and so these world records, Vance, it sounds like you've got them in the last sort of 12, 18 months. Is that, is that what happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, originally I wanted to do the Four Lakes summer 2020, but I mean, I don't know what it's like for you guys in the US, but over in the UK, you know, we've had three lockdowns and every time i I'm getting ready to go and take on these challenges. A lockdown comes in and just keep getting knocked back. And luckily, June was the window. The weather was lovely. Well, that's it. Let's get, let's get out there. Let's go and do this. Head down, crack on.
0: And so I know we, we joked a little bit about the, you know, you, you've got four world records, but is the goal to keep pursuing these records, um, which the, behind the records is really the mindset of you want to achieve and you want to grow? I mean, what, what, is, your, what is your plan with this, David? What, what, where do you want it to go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a keen waterman. I've always loved the sea, I've loved, you know, the beach, everything. And paddleboarding for me is my like my escape, my healthy vice in life. And the paddleboarding industry hasn't even hit, hit the peak of where it could go yet. So I'm trying to get out there, push that, attempt these world first, attempt these world records. And I can continue to do world records, but the world records is just something to give me a platform. Um, so then I can go and talk to people about, you know, the true meaning behind why I'm doing this, you know. For me, adventure has completely changed my life. It's, it's transformed me. I use it as a tool to grow and change as an individual. And I want more people to sort of take that little step out of their comfort zone, to have their own adventure and sort of reconnect themselves. So I think so many people, especially with these lockdowns, so many people have lost touch with themselves and it's just need to just send yourself and learn who you are once again.
0: Yeah, and it's funny we are talking about paddleboarding because there was a time here in Minnesota where I live, it's known for 10,000 lakes. Uh, and uh, I went on a paddleboard. And it wasn't a very good experience for me. But I think I fell off more than what I went on. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a person of balance quite clearly, but it's so but the challenges that you're doing on aren't, aren't easy. I mean, why why paddleboarding in, in specific? How did how did paddleboarding come into your love for adventure and challenge then?
1: Yeah, I mean, I sw- I've been surfing since I was you know, a, a young kid, really. I probably started when I was about 15 years old. Did really well for the surfing, but I mean, where I live, I live in Bournemouth in the south coast of England, and the water isn't always that great for surfing. So those days that I couldn't surf, I ended up taking to a paddleboard. Then. And through that, I just love the extra sense of freedom it brought me, you know, that little extra escape. I could just travel anywhere in the water and go and explore. And then from there, You sort of of realize, actually, you know, I enjoy this exploration, this adventure. Let's push it a little bit further, push it a little bit further and just keeps going like that. And that's every time I'm doing that, I'm just learning a bit more about who I am and what I'm capable of. And that's then I can take that off the water and put that into real life as well, which is great.
0: Wow. So. If I interviewed you in a couple of years, there's most probably going to be 10, 15 of those world records behind there. So, you know, it's a, you, you're inspiring me it. to think about what can I be a world record holder in? So, you know, maybe how much tea I drink in a day, I don't know if I have to come up with something. But so, <laughs> I mean, here's an interesting thing about you, David. And I said this to you because I always do a pre-interview with the people that I talk to on the podcast. Um, and I think I said this to you and also said this to a few friends about you afterwards as well, is that. Uh, when I hear you speak, or when I know what you do now about working in criminal justice, um, you'd never say that you're a person, I use the American term, you'd never say that you're a person that's been incarcerated twice for multiple yeah. years um, for committing crimes. I mean, it's just, you know, when you have, and I was, my listeners know, I was a detective for 14 years, you know. <laughs> And my role was to put people in prison, but you you have these preconceived ideas and stereotypes as to what a criminal looked looks like. And obviously, you know, you're reformed, rehabilitated, you're doing great in society. But when I hear you or when I see you, I was like, I can't believe this guy's story just doesn't seem to to ring true mm-hmm. There's a story behind it. So, do you mind telling us about your time in incarceration and 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 how that how that happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, to start, just start there. quickly. you're saying like. You know, you don't think I. You're surprised that I've been to prison. I mean, that's part of the reason I do what I do. I mean, a lot of people, even when I was serving time inside, people would come up to me and they were shocked that I was a prisoner. You know, I've been accused as undercover police, I was a journalist, or I could have a staff member. So that's part of the reason I do what I do as well to try and change perspectives on people like myself, so we can create these safer communities, these harmonious environments. But, I mean, all for me, it all started. When I moved to London, that's, you know, I ended up being a Forex trader in London. Um, and I was doing quite well for myself, um, you know, learning a lot of money, living the high life in London, spending a lot of money. And then one day I lost my job. My boss and I, we, we fell out. I ended up losing my job. And through that, I mean, I mean I've been to boarding school at a young age where everything's of just given to you. You know, If you want to do something, then they will encourage you to do it. And when I lost my job, I think that's the first major failure I've ever had to deal with in my life. And at this point, I think I must have been 26, never really dealt with failure. So I didn't really know how to handle this. I ended up turning to gambling to try and hide the fact that I was still earning money, End up using a lot of drugs, End up drinking a lot. Um, and then one day I was offered a quick fix, I suppose you'd call it, an opportunity to make um, some quick money, which was to move some stolen goods. Um, and then from doing that, I ended up getting arrested um, and then for about a year before my court date was coming up, I was told I was going to go to jail. Again, I still hadn't told anybody and this was just building up in me, it was like a pressure cooker. So that day I had to go to court, I just just vanished, disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, so I had this nervous breakdown, I suppose. And in those five weeks that I disappeared, I ended up turning to burglary. And then from that, end up getting arrested and then serving a three-year prison sentence, which I did one year, two months inside, four years on tag.
0: Wow. And so, um, you know, incredible journey that you went on. And one thing that I picked up on very early that you said there was around, I think you were 26 when this chapter of your life um, happened. And you said that you'd never really dealt with failure before or had Mm -hmm. failure. And it's interesting because I think, and one of the big sort of I think I said this to you offline about sort of Simon Sinek. I think he's South African, British, and now lives in America. I'm not too sure what his background is, but big sort of motivational corporate um, speaker. You know, he talks about sort of uh, the millennial story that, you know, we train millennials to um, not really, you know, we have the problem as the older generation, not them, because we're not sort of teaching them well enough. And the reason why I say that is, is, it is something that we have in life. Don't we? it. We're often trained for success, but it's in the most adversity that the true transformation happens it's when that's when mm. the most self-discovery happens and there's mostly not enough learning or life lessons or teaching around how to pick yourself back up um so i guess what was was there an element of shame in it for you maybe david that you'd lost your, your position and you didn't have to mm. tell people what would you say to that
1: yeah a hundred percent i mean there was a lot of shame it's embarrassment and everything but something that i now know you know failure is just an opportunity to learn i mean You know, I've gone. I've gone through this massive journey, and I've always read a lot of self-help books. And as you were saying, like failure is is a great tool to learn. Just because you failed doesn't make you a failure. You're a person who has just failed at that time. It's just you know learning from those mistakes and and moving on. But for me, there was that element of shame. You know, I've done so well up to that point in my life. Sort of during school, you know, I had good grades, got university, university graduate, captain in sports teams, all that, and then I had to deal with this. And I, in my, in my head, you know, my family, and my friends got this image of me and I was trying to live up to this image. And when that day came that, you know, I failed, I just didn't know how to handle it and went completely wrong, different direction, buried my head and just, yeah, disappeared.
0: Yeah. And I want to move on to a little bit about sort of, I'd love to get your insight about validation and stuff. We'll, we'll we'll capture that in a minute. So in case I forget, take a, take a mental note, someone wants to come back to validation, but you
1: know, in relation to because you served over um,
0: around three years was that right yes
1: yeah, so then I did first so a year and two months then I did two years uh, eight months and so, so you know,
0: yeah and so the work you do now in criminal justice like I said I mean I'm sure those people listening might say hey sounds very articulate you know you wouldn't put these two stories together but um, mm-hmm when you meet people for the first time and perhaps they say, you know, say I work in criminal justice and I say, okay, you know, what do you do? And then sometimes it might come to the, well, why do you do what you do? Or what's, what's the interest? I mean, do you feel, because um, how many years has passed now, David?
1: Uh, a year and a half s passed now.
0: Um, so do you feel um, a shame? Do you feel, um, what, what do you feel when someone might say to you, why do you work in criminal justice and you've got to go through this story about... Hmm. You know um, how your life changed and you ended up in prison?
1: Yeah, when I came out of prison the first time, what I found was I try to hide away from the, the truth, try to hide away from the fact that I've been to prison. And prison, at the end of the day, is a big part of my life. It's something major that's happened in my life. So when I've come out this time, I'm sort of embracing that part of my life and going back to the failures. I mean, why can't my biggest failure in life become my biggest success? But as you said, every time I do meet people, I raise money for this charity I work for the, in the industry the uh, criminal justice system so people always do ask why. And I'm not ashamed anymore to, you know, say why, you know. Over here it has to change. I've experienced it firsthand. I've witnessed the stress, the troubles, the violence, the drugs, everything involved. So I want to do something to try and highlight this important. So a lot of the stuff I do outside of my work, like, you know, the paddling, that's all to raise awareness around it show others as well that you know your past your mistakes your errors don't define who you are and try and change perspective as well on people so we can support those that are coming out of prison we can get them into work we can get them house we can get them away from life and crime i mean the reoffending rate in this country is about 60 70 percent and that's appalling really we need to bring that down but you you see some of the people come out of prison in here we get 47 pounds when you leave jail and if you haven't got a drink problem and you've no drugs and you haven't got family, £47, you know, you just go straight onto the streets, that's it. But if you did have a drugs problem, and you've got nowhere to live, that £47, you're going to go and get yourself some drugs. And things like that need to change. And that's what, you know, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do my part anyway to try and make it better.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I know my audience have heard me say this before, even with the time I spent, you know, incarcerating people that, um, Incarceration isn't always the answer without education, because if you put them into a system where they're meeting their, their peers, the hierarchy, they come out as more educated and more sophisticated criminals. You know, you're not teaching them the social skills that people, people need. So, I mean, I guess, but for, for you, you know, one of the questions that people often ask is, well, you know, you've, you've done two terms in prison. Why are you so sure now there's not a third term? Yeah. And that's a fair question.
1: You know, even my family and my friends ask the same. I mean, for me, that first time when I was in prison, I was so focused on coming back out, living life again, getting my job, getting money, hit the road running. And I didn't really take time to focus on me, connect with myself and learn about who I was. So I came back out, I ended up getting a job, job was going well, ended up starting my own business, business was going really well, ended up in a relationship, and then that got very toxic. Again, still not addressing sort of mental health issues and all of this. I ended up spending all the company's money. Things just snowballed from there. I just ended up going to this massive black hole. You know, I collectors knocking at my door, wanting money for this, wanting money for that. The drug use came back out. And just I was thinking, how do I get out of this? I thought, you know, you do do one burglary and hopefully I get away with it. And obviously that didn't happen. So then when I went to prison just sitting there scratching my head like, how am I here again? I don't understand how I'm here again. I'm not going to get many more opportunities. So I took that moment to learn who I am, to understand my needs, my wants, my red flags, my green flags, learn all of that about myself. I also utilized all the support around me, and it's just been open and honest, something I never really did before. But whilst I was in there, I met a woman called Dr. Sarah Lewis, who completely changed my life. She saw me as a human being inside this dark place. She understood who I was and my needs. And funny enough, she's my boss now. I'm out of prison and I work for her. But when I met her, it was just complete change. Um, and I'm still on this journey of self-discovery now. I mean, every every day, every thing I take, uh, every venture I take, sorry, I use it as an opportunity to grow and change and learn who I am. But I never let never letting go of the support that I have around me. And if I need help, I know now how to ask for help. And if I do fail, I know that failure is not a bad thing. These are things I just didn't understand before. Now I do understand.
0: Yeah, and you're perfect for this podcast because you said who I became in there like three or four times. I, I need to get a little <laughs> yeah. bell, David. Every time someone says it, but but it is true because that that self discovery, you know, even for me, you know, the, the self discovery about who you are. Mm. You know, we've all um, there's a, a guy that I interviewed here over in the U.S., um, Lewis Conway Jr. Um, I should connect you to him, actually. He does a lot of advocacy work over here in the US. Oh, Great right, guy. Yeah. But, but he, I asked him a similar question. He said, you know, you can't be judged on the worst day of your life um, for the rest of your life. You know, and he was actually involved in a, in a murder. And it's true. I mean, we've all done things wrong. If we were judged on that worst thing daily, true. we wouldn't have any friends or we'd never be employed, you know. So, it is, it is, so it's interesting. But listening to your um, employer, the person who put faith in you now, um, I sort of touched on validation because I think, you know, particularly as men, there's something that we often um, seek out and it can be healthy validation, unhealthy. Um, <clears throat> it sounds like she placed faith in you when perhaps you might not have seen it in yourself or not recognised some skills and attributes that you, that you had. I mean, how do you tie that into part of your journey? Cause what you haven't touched on so far is that your dad actually died in the Falklands war, correct? <clears throat> when you were, when you were very young. So, I mean, uh, did you have any sort of self-discoveries around sort of um, how your father passing at a young age and spending time in boarding school might have sort of tied into to some of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, my father actually died three months before I was born. So I've never, oh, was it? Okay, yeah. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, that. See, and I was, So I've never known him. I've never really known that side of the family. And really, when I sort of look at it, there's always been that hole in me. Um, and I went to, as you know, she said, that I went to boarding school from a young age. I never really had that whole family life. One thing I did have in life, funny enough, was adventure. I remember, winter, it was a military school, and on the weekends we used to disappear into the woods, you know, dressed up in our camo gear, uh, the school bell would ring, we wouldn't come in because we wanted to hide from the teachers, we thought it would be fun. And when I was sitting in prison the last time, I was just thinking, like, I used to love adventure, it, it sort of gave me this drive, this purpose in life. And like, I just let go of it. When I moved to London, when I let go of this adventure side of me, and I should have never have done that. I mean, I've sort of now have this adventure mindset that I can put into my daily life. And as you were saying there, like Sarah saw like me, she saw something in me that I didn't see. I mean, when I was serving my time inside prison, I was trying to make it diff- easier for residents um, inside, just make life a little bit better for people. And she sort of picked that up. And sort of grew from there, really. And she said, once you're out, I would love you to come and work for my company. And, you know, we've got some fantastic things we're, di- we're doing. And taking your your mind and what you do would be a great fit for our company. And so, You know, here I am today.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your your dad, then, just we've, we've got that. So I know there's sort of half the side of the family that you sort of don't know too much um, about or have any sort of contact with. I mean, um, you, when you're in prison, you've got a lot of time to sort of reflect and stuff. I mean, having the absent father how how did that how did that affect you
1: at the time i don't you don't think it really affected you, but having that time to sit down and focus on that it's like actually yeah it has it has affected me you know I didn't have that father, and you know my mum's had relationships there's been people in out of my life all the time. So nothing. I suppose nothing's ever been stable in my life. I've never really had something concrete. And it's not until now that I've sort of realized this. I've just moved back to Bournemouth where I live. And I sort of said to my family, my girlfriends, like, I'm now staying put. I need something stable in my life. I need, I need a home. Um, and I think, I mean, till before prison, I was always moving about everywhere. And I think it's just realizing, I think it's just, I don't know what it is, but so I suppose it is trying to find validation from places, different places something i never had you know i've never had a dad to pat me on the back and go well done son done good i'm proud of you but i think you don't even though i'm not going to get that i think i just need stability in my life and you know that's what
0: i've got now yeah it's interesting to say that you moved around you know quite a bit before you know looking for that sort of stability because some sometimes there's chaos in our lives and i think we all sometimes cause our own chaos and then sometimes there's chaos around us but i think you know mm-hmm. having that stability and consistency is is key. Um, just before I move, I want to talk about, you know, I know you've got a lot of um, entrepreneurial um, spirit inside of you. I want to sort of talk about sort of pivots and stuff. But um, was there anyone in your, your life at the time that might have stopped you going on this um, sort of wrong track? Uh, have you ever sort of um, thought about that? I mean, it was just a question that came to me thinking, was there anyone there that would have said, Hey, David, this isn't the right, right, sort of right path for you? Or were you, the, the validation you were getting was it from like minded people thinking, yeah, actually, you should be, you know, you are doing the right things and stuff. What did that look like?
1: I mean, when you say the wrong thing, like going down, as going, going in, down the wrong path, yeah, was, was, yeah, was there no one I that mean,
0: placed their arm on you and said, David, stop, you're going to end up in prison, or, you know, you're thinking of doing a runner? That's mm-hmm. a crazy idea. Yeah,
1: nobody, I never told anybody, um, but if I did tell my family, yeah, they're 100%. You know, I, I remember going to court. My grandma was just saying to me, like, all you had to do was ask for help, and we would have helped you. Like, it doesn't matter. It might not help me in terms of giving me money, but they would help me work it out. We'd sit down as a family and, do, and done it. But I just never went. I kept everything bottled up, and that's something I don't do now. You know, I've learned to communicate better, to share, um, and figure things out. You know, with people that I love, and also the lives that I'm going to affect through my decisions as well. I mean you know, a lot of my adventure stuff does affect my girlfriend's life, it affects my mum's life, so I sit down, and I communicate with them, we discuss the options of, you know, about going ahead, but I never used to do that before, and it's, you know, a good life skill that I think you need to learn, great communication, really.
0: Well, I think just being, yeah, and it, it can be harder for us men to do it, but just being vulnerable yeah. as well, I mean, it sounds like you're in a similar place to me, I mean, if you'd said five, seven, eight, ten years ago, you're going to be sat across the table to, you know, to guests and to a worldwide audience sharing insights about your life things you've done right or wrong i would have said you're crazy i'm never going to do that um but i'm a lot more open in my life now and fe- fearing the judgment less of people and sort of mm-hmm. needing the validation less i think that is a that is a key part of of who we are it, it is sometimes hard to go and ask for help isn't it because it's a sign of weakness you know i, mm-hmm. I need help from in a bad situation but Life is adversity, is it not? You know, I mean, it's There's that, going to be troubles in life. It's not, not easy, especially when you're an Osmo. I can tell you that from, for three days. But yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, I think when someone said to you once, asking for help is the scariest thing you can ever do, but also the the bravest thing you can ever do. It's just it's such a simple act and it can really change your life and positive. But it's just a scary thing to ask for help sometimes. And you said, I think a lot of men do struggle to do that. I know I certainly have.
0: Yeah. Uh, so here was the fascinating thing about when me and you were talking uh, during the pre-interview for this um for all this journey of sort of self-discovery there's been a lot of pivots in there. i mean even from you know from going to boarding school to you know how you ended up in prison how you've now pivoted to you know working with sort of rehabilitation the criminal justice system but it, it struck me that throughout all this there's a strong entrepreneurial spirit in here but you've you've been running companies as well i mean there's a you know i'm I'm sure you're going to go on and do um, create another company. There's definitely more in you. But um, I think mean, one of your companies was around um, uh, management of so, people, right? Remind me what, what that was. Recruitment, yeah. Recruitment, acid. Mean, that's, so that's so word
1: I was struggling for. The first one I started was uh, an online radio station. So I studied music and radio at university, worked for the local radio stations. And I remember going to Jersey in the Channel Islands over here where my brother lives. And I saw an opportunity. I thought, you know, they haven't got a radio station that's targeted to the audience. So I ended up starting this online radio station, launched it at a festival over there. And I think it was about seven years later. I had one hundred and eighty thousand unique users. You know, I was making some. I wasn't making loads of money. I was making money from it. And there was a company of a similar name who they sort of stole the name. So I was going to go and sue them. They turned around, sort of counter offered, and said, Do "You can we just buy your your database, your your business out?" and it was more money that I was gonna go for them. And it's, I was getting quite tired of running the station, a lot of hard work. So I was like, "Oh no, you can, you can take, it on. Yeah. take it off my hands, that's fine. But yeah, I made some money doing that. And then, and then that's when sort of London life came in. But I also started my recruitment agency as well. So I did a bit of work in the recruiting industry. And I noticed, being somebody that loves the action sports industry, the extreme sports and all that, I noticed there was a gap in the market. Nobody's recruiting directly for the extreme sports company. So nobody's directing for your Quicksilvers, your rib curls, um, Surfdomes, Fatface, all of that over here. But it's not recruiting surfers, it's recruiting like a, you know, a social media expert or a business analyst for these companies, but who loves the extreme sports industry. I remember I got a job with Surfdom. I think I got the job on Thursday uh, contract. On the Monday, I had two people placed. And they're like, that's it. We're only gonna use you from now on. So we use all these recruitment agencies, and they're great. They know recruitment, but they don't know our industry like you know our industry. And then from there, I ended up getting a few more contracts from different companies. And yeah, it did us doing really well, actually. Really proud of myself for that one.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting because one of the things that you said I picked up on there was you said you saw an opportunity. and uh, I think mm-hmm. I know I sort of joked with you about this, but uh, tied into the, the, the burglaries it's mostly a bad, bad joke to have. But it is you do seem to be able to... Place yourself in windows of opportunity, and I think an, an opportunity seems to be part of part of your journey as well, which is really an entrepreneurial characteristic isn't it is seeing an mm. opportunity in the, in the market
1: I think the executive summary of my CV I remember off my head is that i have i 'm good at spotting opportunities and then sort of doing something with that opportunity you know making sure that that comes to light and it does go somewhere I think it's the same with the paddleboarding i've seen an opportunity for the sport to grow to for me to be out there pushing it an opportunity to get these world records and yeah i think i am good it's just trying to keep that in a positive way now keeps looking for positive opportunities which i wish i'm doing
0: yeah and would you say that um there is one sort of touched on the pivots is there's always different been been different focuses in what you've done as well are you a person that needs to uh, remain focused. You're doing a bit of a dry smile there. Maybe that's resonated. But do, do you need to stay focused on like one one task to be successful?
1: No, I mean I like to have focus in my life and drive. And like I think it's just if I can see an opportunity, then I will jump on that opportunity and sort of focus on that. Um, I mean, what's great with the work I do? That's my solid solid ground there. You know, that's my income pays my bills, so I can get out there and look for different opportunities um, and take on that. But I always do need something to focus on. Like you know, I can't just sort of sit down and not knowing what's coming up in the next few weeks. I need to have something coming up. So I suppose, I mean, it's a, it excites me as well, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, because I know you mentioned about sort of adventure as well and the need for adventure. And I think we all in our lives, I mean, you know, I've got two young sons, uh, sort of eight and 10, and they're very good about reminding me of, you know, to be a kid again, because as adults we can get too serious, you know, and it's sometimes hard just to sort of, you know, to mess around and, and have that source of adventure, which we lose in, in every day everyday lives and it, it seems that you've um picked up on that, you've mm. reflected on that, you know that that's a strong part of of who you are. Um I get the feeling, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you lose that adventure, it, is that where you may maybe tail off and some of these bad things have happened in your life and in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said, when I was in sec- sitting in my second prison sentence, I was thinking, you know, something it's disappeared from my life. And I was thinking adventure was one of those things, yeah. I did my Gold Duke of Edinburgh over here, which is uh, like a, an award, an out, outbound award. You, you know, you go off to the woods, you do all these treks and everything. You learn bushcraft. And I've always loved the outdoors. And it's just, I should have never let go of that. And I think if I didn't let go of that, things in my life would have gone a lot different. I don't think I would have moved to London for a start. I mean, I love the beach. I'm a bit of a beach bum, really. And I, you know, I should have never left the seaside. Um, and I just want to hold on to the adventure. Keep going. And... I hope that I can sort of inspire others to get outside as well. I mean, I was speaking to a mother of two the other day, and she was like, you know, I've got two children. I can't, you know, I can't just get out and do these. But I was like, an adventure is anything. Even if it's to go camping with your two kids for the weekend, you don't usually do that. That's an adventure. Maybe learn to make a fire together, all three of you. You're having an adventure together. You're growing as individuals and as a family. And an adventure is anything. It's just taking that step out of your comfort zone and just use it as an opportunity to learn.
0: And how do you take what you've learned then and sort of get other people to, to where you are? Um, so, I mean, you seem very settled in your mindsets, you have a very positive mm. outlook, you know, you've, you've got some great ways to sort of overcome the mindset of adversity, but how do you then share that with, with others? What's, what's the best way that you've found to, to do that?
1: Mm. I think the first thing is you've got to notice that you need change in your life. I mean, it's, i think that's this you can't really help yourself until you know you're willing to have help so i think you've got to realize that you are stuck in a rut you need something to change you need to you know you might be stuck in a nine to five job you know you come home you're tired i think it's just being able to recognize that you're just stuck in this routine you need change and then once you can do that it's then looking for that that change looking to get outside i mean i always you know adventure for me is always about getting outside Disconnecting with everything around you, and then reconnecting with yourself on a different on a different side of the glass, I suppose. But again, it's just spotting that you know that opportunity to change, and that wants to change as well, and needs to change as well.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, about the the question. Often people talk about like goals, and then they put you know, there's two types of people. There's those that see the end goal, and there's those that things see the. If I let me. Go back and do I'm, I'm butchering this i'm going to start again i'm going to start again <laughs> there's those that see the end goal and there's those that see the obstacles that stand in their way and i guess it's um the, the, what, those that see the end goal are easy but those that see the obstacles that stand in their way i guess those are the people that you'd have to sort of nurture and help and and support through. but from what your experience have found that you know, they have to come to that realization themselves i guess that's why some mm-hmm. people go back in a criminal justice system because they don't have that sort of self-belief or or they don't want it bad enough to change.
1: That's it. And I think, yeah, that is exactly it. I think we all have dreams and you know, the only person that's ever going to stop you living those dreams is yourself. And you should never let anybody, any ever outside factor stop you from living those dreams. I remember when when I decided to do my four legs, I came up with that idea whilst in prison. And everybody said to me, ah, you won't do that. You're daydreaming again. You know, once a number, always a number is one thing. And, you know, I went and did it. And when I did them, I'd been out for a year and two months. And I remember sitting in the edge of Ballot Lake. I was like, I've done it. Like, you know, just over a year and a bit ago, I was sitting in a prison cell surrounded by so much failure and negativity. And here I am today. I have four world records. I'm trying to make some positive change in this world. And it's like, yeah, I am changing. And I think everybody has the ability to do it. And I think everybody should try and do or try and grow a little bit every day as an individual.
0: And you mentioned earlier about failure, that part of your trouble started when you realized that perhaps you'd not had failure in your life and you didn't know how to deal with it. So then when you lost your job, you know, your world started to sort of um, crumble um, around you. What is the biggest thing that you sort of learned there, David, that you share with others around your experience of failure?
1: I mean, I think first off, failure is a learning tool. It's an opportunity to understand what went wrong, figure things, and change them. But if you feel like you're you know, slipping down the slope, always ask for help. But for me, I don't think there's ever going to be a greater failure than prison in my life. I, you know, I just can't think of anything bigger.
0: Just touch some wood. Just touch some wood. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but. Why can't that biggest failure in my life be my biggest success in life? You know, I've sat there. I've been given all this time to learn more about myself. So why can't I take that opportunity, flip it around, make it become my biggest success? And I like to think that that's something I'm doing now. And and that's exactly what failure is. It's just a tool to learn. And that's how you've got to remember it. You know, at the time, it might feel rubbish. You might be sitting there down the dumps. You know, your partner's left you. But again, you know, it's just that opportunity. You've just got to see a, sh- a shimmer of light, I suppose, and take it, on board, take it on board and take it as an opportunity to learn and figure out how not to get into this situation
0: ever again. Yeah, and the, um could have been at Lewis Conway. You know, I get um, confused on my name sometimes. I know one of my guests, I think it was Lewis, said, I think it was Les Brown, who is a famous motivational speaker over here, said, you know, you find, who do you listen to? You find people that have what you want and have been where you are. And he sort of related back to a story, David, that someone had come out of prison, and he kept applying for all these jobs, and had submitted like thousands of applications. And um, his family was saying, "No, oh, that's okay, honey. You know, someone, you, you you'll get a lucky break. Someone will sort of give you a job. That's okay." Yeah. And he felt all this failure until he met someone that had come out of prison, but had what he wanted. And this guy said, "You're looking at this all wrong. You've got to knock that door. You're got to talk to a manager." And you've got to plead for a second chance and you've got to you got to talk to someone because by submitting all these applications, you know, it's not going to sort of go go anywhere. And it is that moment that he describes when you know your your failure becomes your greatest strength because someone can share that story, that journey with you. And it inspired him to, to then change and then his journey then started. So it is incredible those small, those small nuggets of wisdom that you share, David, and the work that you do is inspiring other other people. So I'm 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 grateful that you're sharing. So as we start to wrap up our time together, maybe tell us what's next. So you've got four world records. You clearly want more. Um, what are you working on?
1: So next week I'm doing the River Thames, 208 kilometers of continuous paddling. The idea, the world records two days, 14 hours, eight minutes. I plan on doing it between 36 hours and 40 hours. Um, and then October I'm off to Ireland to do their longest lake. November I'm in Iceland. And I'm working on a big campaign for May next year, which hopefully see me paddleboard 33 33 lakes in 33 countries across Europe in 66 days. Um, start in France, go along the south, up up to Scandinavia all the way and finish up in Holland.
0: Well, we didn't touch on madness, but maybe that can be in another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds crazy (laughs) to me, but I mean, that's uh, great and exciting stuff. And so – what are you going to do so the money that raised so when this episode comes out i'll gladly put all your links mm. in the show notes for people to look at so what what is the money that you're going to raise going to go towards
1: yeah so for the, the things i'm doing this year i'm raising money for a charity called the alliance of sport so uh, i've actually become an ambassador for so they use the power of sports and the criminal justice system to help tackle reform and rehabilitation i mean i've witnessed firsthand the power of adventure the power of sports a tool for transformation Um and inside you can do so much with that and what these guys are doing is absolutely amazing and like they just need more support uh, more awareness as well and that's what i'm trying to do try and get out and push it and then when i do my stuff next year i'm going to take another two charities called the rf benevolent fund who took care of me growing up where my father passed away and then a company called adventure therapy um who help people with mental health through adventure
0: wow i mean incredible incredible work and I don't think you'd be doing any of this stuff if your life hadn't taken that path. So as bad as it sounds, sometimes those paths that we go on are are predetermined um, to take us on that correct path of the help and support you're going to give many other people. So, David, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. So before we end, where can people find you on social media?
1: Yeah, so Instagram, Twitter, yeah, Nomadic Paddler. If you want to go to LinkedIn, David Hayes. Um, my website's nomadicpaddler.co.uk. Um, and for the funding, you can just go Just Giving, Paddling for Change as well. It's a way to see that.
0: Sounds good. And I bet when you were in prison, David, reflecting, you never thought that you would appear on a podcast with a former UK police detective now living in America, did you? I'm sure sure that wasn't on your list. It wasn't on your
1: bucket list. (laughs) No, not at all. I was telling my boss about it. We did have a good laugh, actually.
0: Yeah, it is funny. And there's a a, a good friend of mine that I actually put in prison for five years. I think I told told you that story. I needed to share that. With my listeners at some point, so but David, you know, you're an incredible guy. I'm really proud of the things that you're achieving, and it's been great to thank talk it. to you. So um, I know we'll cross paths again and stay in contact. But for now, David, thank you for joining me on the Who Became podcast. Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests or Simon, head over to Simon slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.